Hello and welcome to Very Necessary, a podcast where we delve into the stories behind the objects that we just can't live without. I'm Melissa Hemsley and I'm a chef, a food writer and food activist. And in each episode, I'm joined by a guest bringing their very own indispensable object. Together, we'll find out why it means so much to them and what's really going on behind it. Today, my guest is the wonderful Anna Jones. Anna has been called the voice of modern vegetarian cooking. She's a cook, she's an award-winning writer, and she is the best-selling author of books like A Modern Way to Eat, A Modern Way to Cook, and The Modern Cook's Year. Her most recent cookbook, One, is a collection of one-pot recipes that are short on pans and good for the planet too. Anna Jones, we're so excited you're here. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. It's so lovely to be here and be having a chat with you. I mean, what a treat. It is a real treat. How have you been? Tell us how you've been. Oh, well, I've been really well, actually. It's been it's been a wild old year, hasn't it? But um, my fourth book came out about four weeks ago. And it's been really, really lovely to have something new to talk about and to be excited about. So many people have been cooking from the book and sending me their recipes. And, you know, I've managed to pull out some easy sustainability hacks for people as well. And so I've sort of been talking a bit around that. So it's been it's been super fun. I've been missing my friends like you though Mel it's been um (laughs) that's been the only downside haven't been seeing my mates I've missed your cooking (laughs) it's it's a lovely feeling isn't it I bet when you when you see what people have been cooking from something you've been squirreling away at on your laptop by yourself for so long and then all of a sudden it's like it's bringing joy to other people's kitchens isn't it Absolutely. Well, it's, I always find it so nerve wracking those few weeks before a book comes out because, you know, you, ha- you do put so much of yourself into it. And this particular book took me two and a half years to write. So it, it felt like there was a lot invested in it. Um, and you always feel a bit nervous. But yeah, when they, when they land in people's houses and they start cooking and people start saying, oh, yeah, the recipe was great. My family loved it. My meat eating husband, you know, thought it was the best thing. And my kid that's never eaten a bean ate this recipe, <laughs> you know, and the recipe's really then become people's own recipes in their own kitchens and that's the lovely thing isn't it you're passing the baton on well we are very lucky to have you i know that lots of people are trying to chat to you and lure you onto their podcast we are so excited that you've come onto this one because um we wanted to know what is your very necessary object and please do tell us Oh, well, it is contact lenses. Um, Yeah, contact lenses I've been wearing for a very long time. um, And they are just, to me, the most miraculous invention. And what did you do before them? Well, they allow me to see. They allow me to see, which is absolutely... I mean, there isn't an object that could give you a better gift than that, I don't think. Um, so I um, I think I probably had to start wearing glasses when I was six or seven. Um, and my mum, I think, first of all, plumped for the old NHS glasses, which I really, really hated. Um, and then I think bought me some sort of late 80s kind of Sue Pollard numbers, ginormous glasses that cover half of your face. And I just hated wearing them I just didn't feel like myself I used to get to school I used to take them off as soon as I got to school and kind of hide them in my bag and I get in trouble with my mom and the teachers um, 
And so when I was about 13 or 14, I think my mum suggested I wore contact lenses and bless her heart, I couldn't bring myself to put them in initially. I'm an old pro at it now. But um, so my mum for the first, I think, few weeks put my contact lenses in every morning. Bless Geraldine. I mean, that's true love, isn't it? It is. Yeah, she's such, such, such a sweet woman, my mum. So, um, yeah. I just think they're, they're they're miraculous, and I yeah, I'm excited to hear a bit more about them. And they're part of your daily life now. I mean, really, really, you need them every day, don't you? Absolutely. So I wear them day in day out. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wear them. I try not to wear them for too long because I know that you know that's bad for my eyes. Um, but yeah, I wear them every day. It's pretty much the first thing I do in the morning: get up, brush my teeth, put my contact lenses in. So I really can't. I can't imagine my life without them because with my glasses, I just I don't feel like myself. Um, both you know, in the way I look, but also I feel like my glasses sort of slow me down a bit. I have to turn my head to kind of look at things. And I'm so used to having that wraparound vision that a contact lens gives me. So, um, so yeah. I, and, and the days actually, ironically, like today, I've run out of contact lenses. I got up today and there weren't any left in my little box. So I've got some arriving tomorrow, but I'm actually in my glasses today. And I have to say, I just don't feel like me. Funny story, I am a new specs wearer. I've only been wearing them for about a year and a half and uh, I haven't tried contact lenses. And then I, my mum reminded me, she said, Melissa, you did wear contact lenses. When you were 16, you used to strut up and down Kingston High Street wearing blue and green coloured contact lenses because <laughs> I thought I was cool. Okay, well, let's hear more about contact lenses because that's what we love to know. Who started it? Where have they come from? What's got us to this point where you can have a box, you know, coming at you in the post tomorrow? We are going to introduce right now our Very Necessary's own head of stories, Kat Summers. She is the expert on everything and today she is the expert on contact lenses. Welcome, Kat. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Kat. Hi, Anna. Hi. I'm so interested in this one because I've worn contact lenses for a very long time as well, and I've really never thought that much about them. So this has been a really interesting topic to research. So, Kat, what have you found out? Can you give us some surprising facts about contact lenses, please? Well, this one was actually really hard, I think because contact lenses are basically invisible. So whereas glasses have lots of things associated with them and there's lots of research into how less likely, for instance, we are to trust someone wearing glasses or more likely to think they're intelligent, contact lenses don't really have that because in the main, we don't have any idea if someone's wearing them or not, unless we've seen them before wearing glasses, maybe. So there's all this clever, clever technology in a, in a contact lens. It takes an image, makes it hit the back of your eyeball at a different angle so you can see it properly, and it's all invisible. And that got me thinking, how did that happen? And who on earth thought it would be a good idea to put lenses directly into your eyes in the first place? Oh, I never thought about that, and I, I certainly wouldn't have volunteered for that. It's, a, it's quite a wild idea, isn't it? It is really quite a wild idea. It's mad. So I found a really fascinating story, but I have to warn you, it's a content warning right up front. I am going to talk about eyeballs a lot. So if you're squeamish, you might want to cover your ears. Oh, okay, Cap. We, we are warned. We are squeamishly suitably warned. Over to you. Take it away. Last year, in all the tumult of 2020, a company called Mojo Vision quietly unveiled a prototype straight out of Black Mirror. It was a contact lens, 
that displays a tiny interactive computer screen directly over your field of vision. So you can go about your day, scrolling through a calendar, say, or looking up directions or choosing which music to play, all with a flick of your eyeballs. These smart contact lenses are the latest frontier in wearable tech or technology that's so integrated with our lives, we can do away with separate devices or screens. Wearable tech could be anything from a fairly innocuous bracelet that counts your steps, right up to microchips implanted under your skin that can unlock your front door. And if you think about it, contact lenses are one of the earliest examples of this kind of thing, after hearing aids, of course, and glasses, or if you want to go really far back, a wooden leg. And this new smart contact lens takes things to a new bionic level, previously only seen in the Terminator films. But there's just one problem. The prototype lens is huge. It covers a lot more of the eyeball than just the cornea. And it's made of rigid plastic, unlike the soft, flexible stuff normal contact lenses are made from. So all this technology is possible, but one big question remains, how on earth do you actually wear these things? And that's exactly the same dilemma that the earliest contact lens inventors faced back in 1887. Believe it or not, but contact lenses date back over a hundred years and the original pairs were made of glass, actual glass. You know, the stuff that's hard and sharp and breaks really easily. They were made not by a scientist or an ophthalmologist, but by a German medical student, an amateur glassblower called August Müller. He was an early biohacker, basically, a full century before people started monitoring their heart rate and sleep or microdosing hallucinogenic drugs to improve their productivity. Poor August was so short-sighted, glasses would have had to be impossibly thick to correct his vision. So he tried grinding two glass discs and inserted them into his eyes instead. Now that was no mean feat. First, he had to numb his eyeballs with cocaine. Then hold his breath while submerging his entire face in water as he slotted them in. And even when they were in, he could only bear wearing them for about half an hour before the pain became too excruciating. Closing his eyes was almost impossible too. So in that time, he couldn't blink much either. But he could see a little better. Another person experimenting with glass lenses at the same time was ophthalmologist Adolf Eugene Fick. Adolf had the bright idea of inserting a lubricating solution between the eyeball and the glass, meaning the lenses could be worn for longer. So it was him, not August, who went down in history as the father of the contact lens. And unsurprisingly, glass contact lenses did not become popular. They became thinner and better shaped over the next 40 or so years, meaning you could at least blink when wearing them but no one was beating down opticians' doors for a pair. It wasn't until the discovery of polymethyl methacrylate, better known as acrylic or perspex, in the 1930s that contact lenses could be made out of plastic. At first, perspex was used to make safety glass, furniture, cooking dishes, all the things we still use it for today. But during the Second World War in England, a new potential use was spotted. If an RAF hurricane fighter plane was attacked or shot at, the windows in his cockpit often shattered into tiny shards of glass. And those shards would lodge themselves into the eyeballs of any pilot not wearing his goggles, causing so much pain and irritation, the pilot often lost their eye. An ophthalmologist called Harold Ridley noticed how shards from the newer model Spitfire planes, which had acrylic windows, 
often lodged in the pilot's eyeball without causing inflammation or irritation. The shards of acrylic had no effect on their sight either and their bodies made no attempt to reject them. This meant acrylic or perspex could be used in direct contact with human tissue and doctors started seeing more uses for it. In 1949, Harold himself demonstrated how an acrylic lens could replace the actual lens inside a patient's eye if it had been removed during cataract surgery, for instance. And acrylic could also work as a more comfortable and lightweight lens on the surface of your eyeball too, in the case of contact lenses. You didn't need to inject your eyeballs with cocaine to wear acrylic contact lenses either, which I describe as a huge plus. But the plastic they were made from was still fragile, hard and uncomfortable not to mention expensive. By the late 1950s, a chemist in communist Czechoslovakia called Otto Wichtler thought he had the answer. He'd been working on a new soft form of plastic called a hydrogel, which was clear, flexible and more permeable, meaning gases like oxygen could reach the eyeball. And that's important because unlike other organs in the human body, the eyeball gets its oxygen directly from the air outside, not from blood vessels. So covering it with plastic every day means it can start to get dry after only a few hours. Otto just needed to figure out a way to shape it without creating jagged edges, which would irritate the eye. And the answer came, as it often does, during his morning cup of coffee. Stirring it one day, he noticed how the liquid created a tiny whirlpool in the cup. He realised he could use a similar centrifugal force to mould a lens to the correct shape and came up with a new manufacturing process called spin casting. The trouble was, a recent government political purge had led to Otto losing his research job and therefore the access he needed to scientific equipment to make a spin casting machine. So he made it at home with the help of his dentist wife, Linda, using a bicycle dynamo and his son's Meccano set. And incredibly, on Christmas Day 1961, they used this machine to make four thin, round, flexible contact lenses. That's right, the so-called soft contact lenses we know and love today came about thanks to two people who'd make a great team on Scrap Heat Challenge. From the 1970s onwards, these lenses became increasingly popular, with millions of people around the world becoming amateur chemists as they disinfected their lenses in hydrogen peroxide, then neutralised them in specially designed cases every day. And they were expensive. By 1993, an engineer called Ron Hamilton had noticed how contact lens wearers often continued wearing a torn lens, even though it irritated their eye, because new ones cost so much. Just like August Müller experimenting on his own eyes a hundred years ago, or Otto Wichtler building a spin casting machine with a Meccano set in his son's bedroom, Ron retreated to his garage in Hampshire in England to figure out a better way of mass producing contact lenses. He came up with a way of making contact lenses that was so cheap they could be worn once and thrown away. And throw them away people did. Each of these new daily disposable lenses cost a few pence to make, compared with the previous retail price of £50 per lens. And they didn't need cleaning or fiddly cases. It was the final step in making contact lenses so wearable we barely even noticed them. Too wearable, in fact. In 2017, a woman went into Solihull Hospital in England for routine cataract surgery, where a surgeon found 27 old contact lenses in her eye. <gasps> 
27. Oh. It's the kind of story that makes every contact lens wear a shudder. And the amazing thing about this story is the woman in question hadn't even noticed. She thought her eyes were just a bit dry and put it down to old age. The trouble with making something as wearable as possible is that, well, we wear it too often and for too long. And as anyone who wears contact lenses knows, leaving them for a long time makes your eyes dry, red and itchy and more prone to infection. Sometimes we just need a little discomfort to remind us we're human after all. Which brings us back to those big plastic smart lens prototypes. They may be ready to usher us into a cyborg future none of us are quite ready for, but they'll do it by making lenses less wearable. Because we may go back to cleaning our lenses every night, because that cleaning case charges their batteries too. Scientists around the world are busy embedding tiny electrical circuits and LEDs powered by radio waves into contact lenses, using nanotechnology like this to give us everything from telescopic sight to night vision. So far, so creepy. But these smart contact lenses also have more pressing uses, such as monitoring and alleviating certain health conditions like diabetes or the risk of stroke. And maybe, just maybe, one day, if you lose a contact lens, you'll be able to ping it to find it, just like your smartphone. Oh my gosh. That is wild. Find my lens, Anna, can you imagine? Yeah. I actually thought the pilot was just one of those sort of urban myth stories. I didn't, you know, I didn't think that windscreens would smash and bits of glass would lodge in pilot's eyes, but clearly they did. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely fascinating. I can't imagine those early contact lenses and how completely uncomfortable they must have been. I just, I just can't imagine. And the kind of future of contact lenses, I find that sort of mildly terrifying, I've got to be honest. Just like to stick with the same order, really. Yeah, right? exactly. I'll just stick with my normal contact lenses, thanks. They help me see, and that's really all I want them to do. What did you think about the lady that had left 27 lenses up there? Had you ever... Oh, my goodness. Well, I, a couple of times... Any? I haven't forgotten any. I think I'm quite conscious of them, but a couple of times they've kind of gone round the back of my eye. It's sort of a, sort of indescribable discomfort because you know it's there, but it's round the back of your eye. It's really quite... It's really quite strange. I can't stand the discomfort. So how that lady managed to, you know, go on with 27 of them in her eye, I am not sure. It's a really, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a sort of grit your teeth story, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite, quite the collection of lenses she had up there. Um, <laughs> I, I know it's, sorry to state the obvious, but inventors really are clever, aren't they? They really are. And I love hearing, you know, the, you know, who was it? Was it, was it August, August, who had the first known is that we have the first known uh go at it and then we've got linda the chemist on christmas day i feel like she had the missing part of the puzzle it was linda linda the dentist actually oh dentist yeah <laughs> yeah <so> almost <laughs> uh, linda provided sort of the medical information that uh, her husband otto um needed so otto is sort of down as the inventor of the soft lens but of course you know there is a wife in the background helping out and they really did build that as a team they built that machine using their son's meccano set and developed wow. those um soft lenses well thank you august for persevering and putting cocaine in your eyeballs and suffering so much. I mean, that would be a wild thing to do every morning, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> numb your eyes with cocaine, 
pop your face in a bowl of water, pop your contact lens in. <laughs> but he still managed, Kat said, didn't you? You said he still managed half he an did. hour before he gave up. So high pain threshold. Absolutely. Half an hour he managed. And doing the research for this uh, for this particular episode, I did find out that cocaine has recently been, um, it's been uh, used again in the NHS for things to do with your eyes, often to do with eye surgery as a numbing agent. Wow. So it is still in use for that. It's fascinating. And I think because I feel so strongly about contact lenses, like I just, I feel like they are transformational in my life. You know, they are. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think I've always been thinking, God, who invented these? Because I'd actually really like to go and shake them by the hand. (laughs) So I'm glad I know now. I couldn't believe they were so, they were as old as, as they are. Yeah. Like a hundred years. I remember they were already quite established by the time I was at school. And then I got them in the nineties. So I knew they went back a few decades, but not 100 years. Fascinating. Well, Melissa mentioning Kingston High Street took me back to my teen years because that's where I was with my contact lenses too. No No. way, that's all three of us were then because I lived just down the road. Yeah, that was my night out, Volts. Oh my. Volts on a Wednesday. (laughs) Is that really you too, Kat? Yes. I mean, I I grew up near near Guildford, so Kingston was a big night out. Oh, I love it. That's hilarious. We probably were all in Volts on the same night listening to... Something terrible. That's why I had my horrible (laughs) blue and green fake contact lenses. As a non-contact lens user, to to both of you really, how much effort or faff is there involved in looking after them? I actually use the daily ones, which I feel perpetually guilty about because um, I know that I'm throwing away um, the little plastic container or recycling even the little plastic container and the little piece of plastic contact lens every day. Um, But I've tried the other ones and I just don't really get on with them. Um, But I have heard actually that the actual contact lenses themselves can be really, really harmful to sea life. Um, So lots of people, I think, put them down the toilet or just, you know, down the sink or whatever because they're so small. But yeah, I read something recently that said that's a really bad thing to do. You're absolutely right, Anna. You mustn't put uh, contact lenses down the loo or the drain. They should go in the bin. But they're actually not that bad environmentally. I mean, certainly something to think about. They're made of silicon hydrogel, which isn't biodegradable in any sense. But their size means they only make up about 0.5% of your total personal waste. A pair of glasses uses up the same amount of plastic as about four years worth of disposable contact lenses. Mm. Wow. Just to put it in context. But yeah, they absolutely shouldn't go in the loo or your drain. You're, You're right. And for us, I think us glasses users and also anyone that wears sunglasses, we can always hand in our old specs, um, even if they're a little bit broken, to to an optician. Most opticians will take them and repurpose them in some way, which is always a good thing to do because, yeah, lots of plastic involved in creating our specs and sunglasses. Have there been moments where you've been caught short uh, and have have been without? And uh, what have you done in the name of being a contact lens wearer? Who wants to reveal? Oh, yeah, go for it, Kat. Oh, gosh. I think anyone who's worn contact lenses for a while has got some terrible, shameful secrets they've done in the name of uh, clear vision. Definitely keeping torn lenses in my eyes. That's something I've, I've often done um, it, it, because I, I'm extremely short-sighted. So if a contact lens comes out or I've only got one in, I'm really, I will find it hard to get home. So um, quite often keeping a contact lens when it's far beyond uh, something I should keep in. Other things like wearing them swimming. 
something I, you know, I know I shouldn't do. I've definitely done that, yeah. How can you not get in the pool? Is that because of the bacteria, the, the microorganisms that will get stuck in a lens or get caught behind? Exactly. There, there's one in particular called keratitis. Um, that's a, the infection you might get if these tiny microorganisms or bacteria get into your eye and, and crucially get trapped between your contact lens and your eye. And they, those um, organisms are rampant in, t- in tap water, sea, swimming pool water. And it's a serious infection. It can lead to blindness. Oh, my goodness. Gosh. So I know it's something you shouldn't do, but having done the research for this, I've now, okay, I won't. I won't do that anymore. I, I've swum in mine lots and lots and lots. And I, well, I'm not very good at surfing. Actually, me and Mel, me and Mel have been surfing together, so she we can have. attest to that. <laughs> um, but I really love being in the sea and I just can't, you know, surfing, you need to be able to see. You need to be able to see everyone around you. So I, I have worn them in the sea lots of times and I've definitely slept in my contact lenses a few times. In the olden days when we used to have nights out, before I had my little boy, um, yeah, when there were some, some wilder nights, I've definitely been known to forget to take them out. But that's not something that you you repeat very often because that feeling when you open you open your eyes in the morning and realise you've slept in them, it's just, yeah, worse than um, the um, after effects of alcohol. <laughs> oh, it's like an eye hangover. Awful, yeah, absolutely. The, the shattering thing about it as well is there's that brief moment when you think you've been cured, you wake up and you can see. Absolutely. And then yeah, you yeah. realise what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of eye health, which we keep coming back to, and um, having access to water with one in 10 not having access to clean water, can you just imagine, you know, keeping clean, keeping safe for you and your family when you don't have access to soap, water, towels? Things that keep our face and our hands clean are really important. I mean, a lack of hygiene is bad for your eyes, whether you wear contact lenses or not. And in some very poor rural areas of low income countries, people don't necessarily have access to water to wash their faces, meaning eye infections like trachoma are rife. So trachoma is extremely painful. I mean, forget contact lenses. And if someone gets it again and again, it can cause their eyelashes to turn inwards, scratching the surface of the eye and making life utterly miserable for them. Oh, that does sound miserable. How do you get trachoma? It's actually spread through hand contact or on clothes or bedding that's been in contact with an infected person, something we've all become super aware of during the coronavirus pandemic. But it's also spread by infected flies, uh, which are often near people's homes because they're attracted by open toilets and animal dung. And that means it affects women the most as well, because they spend more time at home looking after children who are particularly prone to spreading diseases. Yeah, well, I I really kind of um, associate with the kind of keeping, trying to keep kids clean thing, because my, my son, who's five, is, you know, out in the woods, especially this year. We've been outside loads. He's touching everything. He is rolling in dirt most days. I'm really up for him getting out there and getting in the dirt and doing all of those things, getting super dirty. The other day I saw him lick a lamppost, so that was nice. <laughs> but not being able to bring him home at the end of the day and, and, and clean him up. I think that that would be really, really, really crazy. And it's really tricky keeping kids clean. Um, and so I just can't imagine how it must be. And I know when, when my son's gone back to school, immediately all of these illnesses start transmitting between the children. And that's in a very, very 
clean kind of super sanitized this year environment so I can't imagine how quickly that must spread in a place where you know water and cleanliness are not accessible. And Kat you said trachoma's incredibly painful but people can also lose their sight can't they it's a cause of blindness. In fact it's the world's leading cause of preventable blindness and nearly two million people around the world are blind or visually impaired by it. Two million people who wouldn't have lost their sight if they'd simply had the clean water and good toilets they needed to practice good hygiene and keep their faces clean to prevent the spread of trachoma. Oh, that's just so frightening. I've got here this this interesting fact. Um, the World Health Organization reported in 2019 uh, over 142 million people around the world at risk of infection. But that is down from 1.5 billion in 2002. And that's thanks to the use of antibiotics and surgery, as well as improved hygiene practices and better access to clean water and good toilets. That's down 1.5 billion, which is amazing, but still a way to go. Wow, that's an incredible reduction though. Yeah, and unfortunately, like most infections, we're never gonna get it down to zero, but the goal is bringing it down. So it's no more of a public health issue than say conjunctivitis, something like that. And, And the way to do that, is to promote the importance of hygiene, like what the charity WaterAid have been trying to help people do in Uganda, for instance. Trachoma can be treated with antibiotics and some pretty straightforward surgery, but practising good hygiene in the first place stops it spreading. And as we found out, being hygienic is easier said than done. It means washing your hands, face, safely getting rid of anything that might attract the flies that carry trachoma. And to do that, people need clean water and decent toilets. It's as simple as that. Thank you, Kat. It is as simple as that. Anna, how do you feel about your contacts now that we've taken you on a whirlwind history of them? Well, I just feel incredibly privileged, really. The privilege to be able to, first of all, have them, thanks to those amazing inventors, to be able to afford them, thanks to my situation, but also to be able to have the kind of water and, you know, cleanliness supplies to make sure that I'm taking care of my eyes and taking care of my sight. I think it's something that is really, really easy to take for granted. And I know that, you know, when I have had the odd, you know, little eye infection, be it conjunctivitis or whatever else, you really realise how critical your sight is and how critical your eye health is. So to think of people around the world who don't have water and, you know, cleanliness supplies it's really quite a wake-up call well said Anna well thank you Anna Jones thank you so much for joining me today to share your very necessary object shout out those very clever inventors and <laughs> thank thankfully we are here in 2021 and not 100 years ago you said it was right when when Anna would have been you and Anna would have been at the very forefront of the experimentations <laughs> thank you so much again to Kat Summers our head of stories who makes this all so fascinating. Kat, you're amazing. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you. Very Necessary is brought to you by WaterAid, a charity working worldwide to make sure that everyone, everywhere, has clean water, decent toilets and good hygiene. If you'd like to find out more about what WaterAid does, like their work on neglected tropical diseases like trachoma, visit wateraid.org or follow the link in the episode description. I'm Melissa Hemsley. Thank you very much for listening and talk to you soon. Very Necessary is a WaterAid and Story Things production.